It is Locked on Jazz for the 14th of December. The best defensive performance, the most complete win of the season is the Jazz stymie Zion and the Pelicans. Nikhil Alexander-Walker's growth is quite a good story. The center combination was there, and the Jazz are now 12-6 and when Mike Conley starts. What do we think of that? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day thank you so much for making locked on jazz your first listen of the day we are free on all podcasting platforms and apps and everything else as well as on youtube chat room available for you each and every day big quick picture question day what's the favorite part of that win yesterday against the New Orleans Pelicans today's episode brought to you by prize picks for the first time users you can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 the promo code locked on that's prizepicks.com promo code locked on how are you i'm sleepy uh nice to see you this morning but there's there's things to be done this morning there's podcasts to produce there's snowbirds to go ski so uh, there's practice to go to attend, um, lots of fun stuff here. Uh, what a f- good win last night. Uh, that's by far the, at least I thought the most complete solid win of the year. Pelicans had come in, they'd won seven straight. They were the number two team in our power rankings behind the Celtics who had a re- just truly remarkable win last night. I don't know if you followed that. That was crazy. They were up 20, then went down 13 with three minutes left, had a 1% win probability chance and one in overtime, 122. Uh, 118. So kind of crazy uh, last night uh, for the Celtics. So the Jazz, I mean, they're going up against this Pelicans team that was just that beat Phoenix twice in a row, uh, was rolling people, and the Jazz kind of rolled them. The game changed uh, when Zion got his third foul, and when and but the Jazz were doing things to go get Zion his third foul. Uh, one of them, a really good charge taken by Rudy Gay, but otherwise the Jazz were involving Zion in a bunch of actions last night and going at him and making him play defense. And it's it's interesting to me, this is two games in a row where the Jazz have played the Pelicans and Zion's defense was prohibitive for the well-being of the Pelicans. And yet we're not hearing that from other teams. And I don't know if that's just a really specific approach from the Jazz or if that is a uh, something to be said to the way uh, the, the Jazz personnel, but the Pelicans' defensive rating last night was Zion on the floor was a 135. Um, there's nobody out. The, Herb Jones was a 129. C.J. McCollum was a 124. 134 for Zion Williamson last night when he was on the floor. Uh, the Jazz simply just went after him. Uh, and it's not always by involving him one-on-one on the ball. In fact, it's often making him guard the pick-and-roll where a Linux slipping and then they have to help and then that leads off to something else. Or in the case of his third foul, it was he was guarding a Linux and a Linux goes and sets a pick for Lowry Markkinen and then Markkinen tight curls it in the middle of the lane and Zion's the one who's got to try to guard that and ends up picking up his third foul. Um, so we'll see whether the Jazz do that again on Thursday in the matchup. That'll be interesting. The, the story of the night's the best defensive night of the year by the Jazz. 
which is not something the Jazz do very often. In 13 of the last 15 games, the Jazz off defensive rating was below league average. In fact, so far this year, the Jazz have only been above league average defensively in nine games all season long. And four of those came in the first five games of the year. So in four of the first five games of the year, the Jazz defense was above league average. And since then, they've only done it five times. They were against Memphis, the Clippers, whose offense has really struggled, Philadelphia in the loss when Joel Embiid went off, Indiana recently, and then last night. By far the best of the night. Um, And it was a good combination of of a lot of different things. They forced a lot of turnovers again, um, which they've they've amped back up a little bit on the turnover forcing. Uh, Will Hardy had felt that the team had gotten a little cautious, so they amped that back up. Um, Their defensive rebounding is still not particularly good after back-to-back games against Denver and Minnesota, where the defensive rebounding, actually four or five games where the defensive rebounding was really good after a miserable stretch. Uh, That losing streak when Mike Conley was out uh, and right before Mike Conley went out, the Jazz just simply stopped defensive rebounding. The opponents were getting 33 to 34% of their misses every night. Um, Four of the last five games, Jazz were good. Last night, they were only okay, but that's a little bit because of Valanchunas. And then um, the foul rate last night was not great, but it was, again, not as horrific as it has been at times. So that all coupled with the Pelicans having a really unusually bad shooting night, and the Jazz, I thought, altered their shot chart a little bit. Um, If you look at the game last night, they did not probably get the shots they wanted to get. The Pelicans are generally pretty good at getting the looks they want to get the Pelicans coming in to the game uh, from a shot distribution standpoint, the Pelicans were sorry, looking it up right now. They took the uh, third most amount of rim shots in the league at 40% of their shots at the rim. That's right where they were at their regular 42. Um, And then they don't take a lot of corner threes, but they do get a decent amount above the break threes. Last night, they did not make a single corner three. They were over three. They were only and only got 19 above the break three, so they were 2 of 22 from three, which you'll win almost any time your opponent does that. But more importantly, they took 34% of their shots as, as mid-range shots last night um, for a total of 27. Now, the Jazz, frankly, took 25, and we made 10 of the ones in the in the paint, so we covered for it a little bit. So, you know, the fact that they were able to get 42% of their shots at the rim is probably a number they like, um, and they just didn't finish a lot of them. They They... Uh, and they well, they finished kind of on their league average. They finished 67%, which is right at their league average. Uh, the real story, defensively, is Jazz were active. They executed the game plan well. We talked about this the other day. This is a really coachable group. Um, we and it, it might seem mundane, but um, it's just kind of an interesting thing to be able to have these halftime interviews with these coaches, and they tell us what they want to see as the adjustment in the half, and then you see it come to fruition. You don't always see that. Um, so Will Hardy's got this group in a point right now where when he comes with a with a game plan execution, he's actually he's getting it at a really high level, which is pretty cool. Um, that's not that common. It's not that uncommon, but it it's worth commenting on it in the sense that well, we talked about earlier this week, and I wondered if people thought that was a silly show, but I, defensively last night they they executed a lot of what they wanted to do, where they wanted to force Zion where they wanted the ball coming from, how they wanted to show a crowd, how they wanted to get out to shooters, what shooters they were willing to uh, sag off of and not sag off of. Um, They did a nice job. The Pelicans have really almost zero off-the-bounce three-point shooting game. They take five a game. Um, They don't shoot those very well. 
They are a very good catch-and-shoot team. So Troy Murphy, or, or not Troy Murphy, that would be the um, old Golden State Warrior. Trey Murphy, who went over last night, is actually a pretty good shooter. He's a 40% catch-and-shoot, three-point shooter. So the one area where, like last night, I just, you know, we're talking about whether things happen again the next night. I'd have to look it up. But this is a good catch-and-shoot basketball team. And they just missed an awful lot of shows, uh, awful lot of, uh, threes last night uh, that were catch and shoot. And you can decide that the Jazz did a good job getting to them without trying to be disrespectful to the Jazz. I think a lot of times it's luck. That's always how I felt on this. And you have a short sample size where it happens. I would say that the, the lack of three-point shots last night, I think, is maybe the more important number. If you just keep that number down, it's pretty good. The Jazz didn't shoot great either, by the way. The Jazz had 31 catch and shoots last night, only made nine of them. They'll improve on that on Thursday, too. The Pelicans... Last night, their number was they took 25 uh, catch-and-shoot shots for threes last night over the course of the game. My, my 22 was kind of the number before blowout time. And they um, they go 4 of 25 on their catch-and-shoots uh, last night. Is that possible to be right? Let, let me check that. Um, that almost looks like NBA.com is wrong on something, which would not be a stunner. No, that's right. They went 4 of 27 overall. Um, so they only took two off-the-bounce threes all night long. That backs up what we're saying. And they went four of 25 on catch-and-shoot threes for 16%. That's that's unusually low. So that would pick up. But it wouldn't have changed the game. The game was not close last night. That's the best defensive performance by the season. That's the best overall performance of the year. It was a game plan execution. It was high energy. Vando was amazing. Um, he, you know... He is the energy piece for this team. And he had 18 points, 14 rebounds, six assists, a block and a steal last night. uh, And was just wrecking havoc. And he did that in 23 minutes, by the way. He and Kessler combined for 46 minutes of time together, just kind of as this this big combo last night that worked perfectly. And we'll touch on that. We continue. I also want to talk about really interesting day yesterday with Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And we told the story in the fourth quarter of the game last night, but I want to tell it here. Um, as well, but his approach and the way he's playing and the way he's developing. And then we'll get into the rightful order of the basketball universe. And then we'll wonder, like, how good is this team? The question has to be asked again, and we'll know more Thursday, frankly, if they beat the Pelicans twice in a row. Uh, you start to really think they're really good. It'll be the third time they actually beat the Pelicans um, if they do that. Uh, this is Locked on Jazz. The uh, Wednesday edition of the show today brought to you by our friends over at Intercap Lending. I, I've got to tell you, this is a really cool program that are, they're doing. Steve Carter is our own personal loan officer. We talk about Steve a lot. Incredible uh, work that he does, how great it is to recommend people. So Steve reached out to me to talk about a new program Intercap is running called FreeFi. The program is for anyone that buys a home using Intercap Lending from now to March of 2023. They'll have the ability, when interest rates dip down, to take advantage of a refi, and the intercap will waive all lender fees for that refi. So just make sure you understand what that means. They will cover all processing and underwriting fees. The client still has escrow, taxes, insurance, title fees that are part of the refi that come from outside the lending. But there'll be no lending fees from intercap. So what it means, it should really help you if you're on the fence of buying with the rates being much higher to know that a refi option is down the road when the rates move back down and that refi is valid until March of 2025. So it gives you over two years to refi with intercap lending. If you do the refi, if you do uh, the free fi approach. So that's over at our good friend, Steve Carter. He's our own personal loan officer. He just does amazing work. 
Uh, if you want to reach Steve, you can email or call him at 385-885-28. That's 385-885-28. Or you can just email me at dlock09 at gmail.com, and I will make sure that I uh, check and connect you to um, and give you guys the connection you need so that you can take advantage of the new Intercap Free Fi program. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com. Our sales guy, Brian Goldmark, was uh, out in Seattle for a party this weekend for his wife's company. And he was tooling around in the sweetest Tesla that he got from Toro, the world's largest car sharing marketplace, Toro. You can book any car you want, whether you want, wherever you want it, uh, for community from the community of local hosts. You browse a huge selection of vehicles, just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Australia. Book a spacious SUV, a minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or holiday. Find an affordable economy car if you're on a budget and just need to get from A to B. Test drive the new electric vehicle you had your eye on, like Brian did. Many Turo hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms and conditions and exclusions apply. Forget boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. That's T-U-R-O.com. Turo. Dot com. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcasting apps for your second listen today. Make sure you grab Locked on Sports today, the 22-minute recap of all things in the sports world. Uh, I thought the center combination last night was really interesting. Vando plays 23, Kessler plays 23. They combined for... 29 points and 30 rebounds and four blocks. 29 points, 30 rebounds, six assists, and four blocks. Vando had all six assists. What was interesting about it is that Vando spent most of the night dealing with Valanciunas. While that allowed Olenek to guard Zion some of the time, or Z- or Alinek went and guarded, sorry, Alinek went and guarded Jonas, which allowed Vando to guard Zion, and then Vando's coming off Zion to rebound. Um, Vando matched minutes with Zion in the first quarter. When when Vando went, when Zion went out the six, uh, Vando went at the 619 mark, and Zion went out the 555 mark. So not perfectly, but kind of conceptually. And then when Zion came back, Kessler was on the floor. And at that point, Valanchunas is off the floor. So they intermixed kind of who they were dealing with all night long. But in the simplest terms, when Vando was being was guarding Zion, and then when they were switching on the other side, he was just flying around Valanchunas. Valanchunas is this big, huge, massive body, probably the strongest guy in the league. One of the five strongest guys, Stephen Adams, the strongest guy in the league. But one of the five strongest guys in the league. And Vando was just flying around him, like just in, just darting and moving in and out and doing all sorts of things. And then Larry Nance was in the game and Walker Kessler was in for a good deal. Now, again, as I said, this kind of went in and out. In the first, first stint, Kessler and Nance just about matched. And in the second stint, Kessler and Nance just about matched. So that Kessler's moments against Valanchunas were limited, though interestingly, for a little while... Willie Green tried playing uh, Valanchunas and uh, Valanchunas and 
Nance together, which was a little unusual um, to what they usually do. But for the most part, you had Kessler going up against Nance, and you had Vanderbilt going up against a combination of Zion, because that's who he was guarding, and Valanchunas. And it just worked wonderfully. Now, partially because Nance didn't make any outside shots, and so when they tried to stretch the floor and Nance went 0 for 3, it didn't really help them. And Nance's speed and athleticism didn't bother Walker. Um, And so that was kind of this interesting mix, is that when they went small, with which their small lineup is, which is what the Pelicans like to close with, and what has been their much better lineup this year, by the way, they're much better with Larry Nance on the floor than they are with Jonas Valanciunas on the floor. The Jazz matched it with Kessler and had great success. And then on the flip side, when Jonas was on, they used the Olenek-Vanderbilt combo um, to make a bunch of plays and, and be athletic. I thought that was, that was noteworthy and worth keeping an eye on on Thursday to see how that, whether that holds again or just was happenstance on that night. Um, in the on-off numbers this year, the Pelicans, when Nance is on the floor, are plus 6.3, and when Jonas is on the floor, are minus 6.5. Offensively is where the difference is. It's Nance is plus 7 per 100 possessions, and Valanciunas is minus 7 per 100 possessions on the offensive end. So that's, that's where that flips and where they get better when they have Nance on the floor, and it did not work last night. Walker did a really, really um, nice job in that game. Um, I didn't check any of the Jazz. I looked at Zion's defensive ratings. Jazz defensive ratings last night, uh, Walker was an 86.8 when the 23 minutes he was on. Vando was a 98. So it's um, a pretty great combination um, for last night. And, and it's unique. It's different. And it changes the way the Jazz play. The energy level, though, last night overall was really the biggest deal. Two days off certainly plays into that. Nikhil Alexander-Walker has had this terrific stretch. Um and if, the, and if this can hold, he's he, the Jazz have found themselves their backup point guard. Um, you know, really, Colin Sexton handling and playing backup point guard is not good for the team. Colin Sexton playing off the ball and using all of his incredible athleticism, doing those things, is really good for the team. So, now, it's been a four-game stretch. He was good against the Clippers, too, um, and then only played three minutes. But it's been a four-game stretch, so let's not, you know, get too out of control. Excited, but what Alexander Walker is doing in this four-game stretch is, is a little... Uh, unsustainable, but it's 30 minutes a night. He's averaging 17 points a game, four rebounds, four assists. He's shooting 62% from the floor and 58% from three. Okay, so if he does that, he's not a backup. He's just an all-star. I think that's unlikely. But what I think is worth noting, his two-point shooting percentage in his career, 39% his rookie year, 48% the next year, 43% his third year, 54% right now. His three-point shooting, which I, I'm going to argue is not sustainable, but it, it doesn't matter. It's so far away from where he's been as a career that it matters. 35% his first year, 35% his second year, 31% last year, 44% now. Okay, I don't expect him to shoot 44, but it's going to take him a long way to get back down to 34.6 is what she was his first two seasons. And his two-point shooting was just horrific. And so what's different? Well... We got a chance to talk to him about it yesterday. He was really insightful and honest and open about it. Um, there are some, you know, fundamental things he's kind of trying to change up a little bit of what he's doing. Um, though he was not like one of these guys, by the way, who took a crazy amount of um, of like non-twos or things like that. In fact, of the matter is he's like not getting to the rim at all with us. 
He's dropped from being like 24% of his shots at the rim in his earliest career down to 6%. That's actually like a hard way to live. It'd be nice to him to get to the rim a little bit. But he was super interesting yesterday talking about what he's done with this game. And the first, here's what he had to say. And, I, and um, I'm going to, I don't, I'm actually not, I took a bunch of notes. I'm not paraphrasing that much. He said he, he, he sh- his comment was that he shifted his purpose. And then he elaborated to say, I was playing every day as though I needed to prove something. I have a chip on my shoulder and that turned out to be my worst enemy. I didn't need to press the issue on every single play to prove that I belonged. I just needed to play and get just get better every day and not worry about whether or not I could prove that I belonged. And so I asked him what has allowed him to, to make this, like what led him. And the answer is interesting. He started with prayer. God's very important to him. And then he said close friends, his trainer, his agent. Then he talked about Shea. Shea Gildas-Alexander is his, the great 30-point-a-game scorer for the Oklahoma City Thunder is his cousin. And he singled out a guy by the name of Nate Mitchell, the team from Team Canada, who he played with this summer when he was on the Team Canada team. And he had a, you know, if you remember, he had a very, very good Team Canada. And he had a very, very good camp. Like, he was a great camp. Um, in fact, he was the player everyone was talking about coming out of camp more than anyone else. Um, so I don't know if it's the same Nate Mitchell that played at, at Southern Illinois um, or, or, or if it's the Nate Mitchell that's the assistant coach for the Toronto Raptors. I'm thinking it's the, the Nate Mitchell that's the assistant coach for the Toronto Raptors um, who must be on that Canadian coaching staff internationally and helped him. He was, a, he was actually, interestingly enough, he was an assistant for the Jazz G League coach Scott Morrison in Maine, and then he was on the Charlotte Hornets staff for many years. He's now on Nick Nurse's staff um, and is, was born in Canada as part of that. And so um, he mentioned Nate Mitchell as a coach who specifically has helped him a great deal. The other thing he talked about is he started to really research and look into why people are great at what they do. And a lot of it was watching documentaries. And he talked about... Um, watching some things on staff and calmness and Kobe on calmness. But he also said the thing he knows from just watching all the other documentaries was that people, the, the people that are great at what they did were always at peace with what happened. Uh, and I thought that was a really interesting and insightful comment from Nikhil. And also, you know, these guys are young humans that are trying to be better every day. I'm an old human trying to be better every day. And it's, it's super interesting to watch them evolve and try to put this together and figure out what it is to improve and how it is that they're going to be successful. And um, really was, that was a, I thought that was a neat conversation to have with Nikhil and to, to hear him share his own personal growth and what he's been going through and, you know, trying not to press the game and not trying to prove something every night. It's hard. You come in this league, you got a back of the basket, you, you got a chip on your shoulder, you want to prove, and you just go full throttle, and sometimes that's not the best answer. I mean, if you just look solely at his usage rate, which is the percentage of possessions that of a team's plays you're used when you're on the floor, he was at 23 and 24%, and this year he's at 19%. It seems counterintuitive for a lot of these guys to realize that you actually get are probably better if you do less. Um, but that's where he is. His turnover rate's way up. We're making him play with the ball at the point guard almost all the time. 
Um, his assist rate is up though as well. Uh, and you know, he's still got a ways to go, but he's been, he's been really, really good. Um, basketball reference kind of has his numbers all screwed up because they don't have him as a point guard for the jazz right now, but they also just to put it in perspective, never had him at more than three or 4% as playing point guard for new Orleans. So a lot of this is new for what he's doing. He's really developing quite nicely. So tip of the hat to Nikhil tip of the hat for his honesty in the interview to, and this is always how I feel if we, the more they let us, uh, talk to these guys and get to know them, the more impressed we always are. They're, they're these kids, these kids, they're really kids are, are the best in the world at what they do. And they've given up a huge amount to be able to do it. Uh, it's very impressive. Today's show is brought to you in part by betonline.net, where odds, news, scores, and the rest are available. Jazz were a one-and-a-half-point dog last night, and they pulled off that upset. i got to be honest, I would have taken the Pels. I just thought they were rolling. Um, it's what makes that win so, so impressive to me. Uh, Thursday night football, the Niners are a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Seahawks. Tonight on the NBA end of things, Golden State goes back at it after getting thumped last night by Milwaukee. They're a one-and-a-half-point favorite in Indiana. Uh, Toronto is a five-point favorite over Sacramento. Got thumped last night. And Cleveland is in Dallas. Dallas is a two-point favorite. That's probably the marquee game of the night. Clippers are a seven-point favorite against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Wow. That's a little surprising to me. Who is the odds-on MVP at this point? Uh, is really an interesting question because last night, Jason Tatum put together a really interesting performance um, that would be there. Uh, they do have odds on if Russell Westbrook is going to be traded. Yes, minus 250. No, plus 170. Is DeMar DeRozan going to be traded? Minus 175, plus 135 on the no on that. Those are all at betonline.net. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free. We are available all the places for you for your second listen today. Check out Game to Game. I can't wait to hear what the Lakers and the Celtics hosts have to say about that incredible game that finished. I was listening to Sean Grande, Celtics announcer, on my drive back last night. One thing I think that's super important about last night's game, and this is where the addition of Kelly Olynyk I think was so important to the Jazz roster and just the way they're playing is and and this is why you know hey we're twelve and six now when Mike starts and, and we'll talk about that in a second and we're a bit fragile when he doesn't but I think it's also a sign of like the rightful order of the basketball universe and it wasn't clear what the rightful order of the basketball universe on this team was when the year started and it is now showing and for those who don't know this weird phrase rightful phrase the basketball universe it's kind of what I've always used where you just kind of know what everyone's role is and how it works. The Pelicans, for example, last night when Zion went out of the game with nine minutes left in the second quarter, their rightful order of their basketball universe was completely disrupted because Zion was supposed to be in there to score and CJ wasn't back in the game yet. And then all of a sudden everybody had to do something they're not used to doing and they went three of 17 to shoot for the rest of the quarter. They just never got back together. Last night, you watched the Jazz and Conley and Clarkson were on the floor together and they were having bad nights, but everyone else was shooting nights and Clarkson was just off. Uh, and turnover nights wasn't great either. And everyone else was kind of filled into their spot. And Beasley came in and knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And it's the one tricky thing about playing the way the Jazz have played this year when everyone kind of can intermix and Will will ride the hot hand and, and do all those kind of things is that you you end up not having it like be as clearly defined as you might want it to be of who's supposed to do what. I thought last night felt pretty clearly defined, and maybe that's just because you're really well executing well, but it seemed like everyone's roles were kind of back into their 
to their spot and understood how to play. And I know we were missing Fontecchio and we were missing Sexton, but it just felt very natural. That nine-man rotation last night felt like everyone came in with the right spot. Beasley comes in to shoot. Kessler came in to do his thing. Alexander Walker played beautifully, complimenting Mike Conley last night. Rudy Gay played really well, actually, and he's, he's actually done a good job defending Zion in both the last two games. Zion's actually had more success on Vando than on anyone um, in the two games in which these teams have played. So kind of interestingly, um, Rudy Gay took the charge last night on him um, and was a- was able to just kind of understand body-wise of what he's going to do. It's funny to watch Nikhil Alexander-Walker in the locker room literally showing everyone Zion's moves. Uh, last night, Rudy Gay ended up guarding... Uh, Vanderbilt guarded Zion for 17 possessions. Um, Zion was three for four. The team had 22 points. Rudy Gay guarded him for 14 possessions. He was one of three, and the team had 14 points. So, you know, give credit to Rudy Gay for the second time. He was on him 39% of the time. Vanderbilt was on him 34% of the time. That's two games in a row in which he's done that. Markkinen guarded Zion when he got really, really aggressive, uh, and he ended up going four of six against Zion with two turnovers or against Markin with two turnovers. He got in that third quarter, he was kind of strangely selfish in the way he played, but just overall, I just thought that, you know, the rightful order of the basketball universe seemed to be put together. Um, this is, you know, kind of an ongoing conversation we've had all year of like, well, how good is this team last night? Certainly makes you, and if they were to possibly win on Thursday, really makes you, you know, Mike Conley is certainly the, the thing that holds this thing together and, and you're not great if you're actually that dependent on one player, like let's, and particularly if you're dependent on a 35 year old point guard. Um, so I think that we have to understand what the weakness of that is. And the fact that Mike missed a bunch of games is probably not going to be the last time that happens just at this age, but it is super interesting that when Mike Conley starts, we're now 12 and six, like we're 12 and six with wins over Denver, two wins over new Orleans, a win over Memphis. I don't remember if Ja played in that game. He played in one of the two. Ja played in that game. Desmond Bain did not. Um, the Lakers. The Clippers. The Lakers again. Atlanta. Phoenix. Portland. And New Orleans. And I mentioned New Orleans. So 12-6 and six with Mike Conley. One and wins over Denver, Minnesota, New Orleans. Who are above 500 teams. Memphis above 500 team. Clippers and Lakers are not above 500 right now or are above 500 right now. He checks the standings quickly. Clippers are sitting at 16 and 13. They are above 500. Lakers are 11, 16. Okay. Win over the Lakers. That's fourth, fifth above Clippers, fifth above 500 team. Atlanta, who actually may have slid under 500 with their losing ways right now. Nope. They're 14, 14, six. Six above 500 wins. Phoenix above 507. Portland, eight. And New Orleans, nine. So we're 12 and six when Mike Conley starts. Nine of the wins are against above 500 teams. It's pretty solid. Like, it's an interesting, like, pretty solid. It makes you wonder, like, whether the, Nikhil's playing really well, but is the addition a backup point guard? You actually make an addition at the trade deadline instead of a subtraction. So you find some really solid 18-minute veteran backup, 20-minute veteran backup point guard. And solidify this team so that when Mike doesn't play, can, you can play 30. Like, I don't know if Corey Joseph is the answer. I think he's, you know, or someone like that. But 
and I'm certain they're available, but is that, and, and is he good enough? I don't know. Um, but, I, you know, that's what I'm thinking about, that kind of idea. Um, and Corey Joseph's on Detroit. They would, they would move him in a second if they got a bag of balls. Um, that's probably rude, and I didn't mean it that way, but you understand my concept. They're, they're not playing for anything right now. Um, so, it's, you know, I think you have to give just some real legitimacy to everything that's going on in the team. When this team is right, and when the rightful order of the basketball universe is there, Will Hardy's put this thing together in a manner that's playing terrific, terrific basketball. And it's really impressive. All right, that is Locked on Jazz today. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you're having a wonderful day and enjoying this. We'll be back with you tomorrow as to get ready for our Thursday matchup. Might even see if Jake Madison is available and, and check in with Locked on Pelicans and do a little, have a little fun with that. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.